Welcome to the feminist history party you've been waiting for. This is Nevertheless, She Existed. This is the podcast about the women of history who are underappreciated, overlooked, or sometimes completely forgotten about. Mm-hmm. The stories you'll hear on this podcast are recorded live in New York City at Caveat, your favorite speakeasy that gets you a little smarter and a little drunker on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Each month, we do a deep dive into a different topic within women's history. This month, we're doing Ladies of the Wild West. Every episode, Molly and I will dish on a tiny corner of women's history, providing a little framing and a little context before introducing the main story from our live show. Mm-hmm, that's right. So one kick-ass woman from today will tell a live story about a woman from the past. We've got comedians, storytellers, curators, all raising a glass to the women who should be in your history books, but were left to the tumbleweeds of time. Take a shot of whiskey every time we say tumbleweeds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to happen a lot. <laughs> uh, my name is Molly, and I'm from the lawless and flawless state of Florida. My name is Kylie, and I hail from the rowdiest place in the West, the gold mining town and gold nugget of my heart, Sacramento, California. This is the first episode of the Women of the Wild West series. Keep an ear out for stagecoach wheels a-rolling, saloon doors a-swinging, and hordes of tough bitches. You know, pigeon. <laughs> what is the Wild West? Um, good question. Me, I'll pose it to me. What do I think of? I guess when I hear Wild West, um, I think of like opportunity, mm. you know, fresh starts, mm-hmm. gunslingers, outlaws, rugged lands, Will Smith, uh. for sure. Um, I love that song. Uh, but what song? Wild West. Take me to the wild, wild west. I can't sing the whole thing because legally we'll be required to send That's him thousands true. of dollars. Um, and I think he's doing fine. <laughs> But to me, right now in 2019, uh, the Wild West is also the place that I lose all of my friends to. You know, it's just a steady stream of my friends going to L.A. Hello, everyone there. You know, all trying to, you know, stake their claim in the wild hills of Hollywood. Make it big, strike it rich, and get out of the cold. Because they can't hack it, Kylie. People who move to L.A. from New York City are soft. We miss you so you much. You heard it here first. <laughs> I really miss you. Please come back. Um, so when I think of the Wild West, I think of my hometown. I think of school field trips up to a gold mining town called Coloma with all these historical reenactors. I think of the old man playing a prospector who yelled at me for not mining gold hard enough and like shook my gold pan. Oh, so he was paid to do this. He was paid. He made Okay, money. I thought this was just a stranger coming up to you. Honestly, fingers crossed. I hope so. I was in fourth grade. <laughs> I cannot verify that. Let's hope he was paid. Uh, <laughs> at all. Anyways, uh, Wild West, right? We got old prospectors. Mm-hmm. We got gunslingers. We got uh, Will Smith. We I, got it all. I think we figured yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, just to back up really quick before we get into this, um, I just want to talk about the concept of the Wild West as a whole, you know? Mm-hmm. so Because the Wild West has been romanticized to a truly a wild yeah. degree. And we really can't forget that the actual violent and horrific campaign to remove or wipe out entire indigenous tribes gets glossed over all the time for the sake of a better story, right? For the sake mm-hmm. of painting white people as the heroes and taming land that was ours to take according to our manifest destiny. Yeah. I was taught that in school. You know, we were taught that 
uninhabited lands were just there for the taking. And the land that was inhabited, we triumphantly fought for and won in a righteous battle between savagery and civility. Or they all just got along and the Native Americans handed us, you know, a couple of beads. We handed them some blankets. Everything was fine. I love that mural. Seen it everywhere. (laughs) Which, of course, we all know is the biggest lie in American history. In reality, white people invaded lands that had been occupied for centuries by Native Americans and committed violent atrocities against them and initiated campaigns to completely exterminate them. And of course, today, these indigenous populations still suffer from the hundreds of years of colonial conflict, disease, violence, and the policies of discrimination. So this, you know, frontier myth, quote unquote, that America, you know, built its scrappy character from bootstrap expansion and good old fashioned fair and square combat is complete bullshit. Um, And we'll really get into this myth that sprang from the Wild West more in episode two. But for this episode, we're going to sort of ease you into the Wild West. We're going to talk about the road more traveled by historians and talk about the ladies who migrated from the East Coast. The West was kind of an okay place for them. It was a land of opportunity. I mean, things could have been worse for them and have been historically. Mm -hmm. Women's suffrage in the U.S. has its roots in the West, with nearly every Western state or territory enfranchising white women way before the East Coast got on board with recognizing women as people. Mm. Women had the opportunity to be treated like people with brains and political power and a whole bunch of other cool features, too. After the Civil War, if you were a white lady that wanted a divorce, a right to vote, or some actual pay for some actual work, you took your ass out west. Wyoming territories passed a bunch of laws like these in 1869 to attract more white settlement. There are some crazy fucked up shades of gray to this, of course, as we spoke about before. uh, Wyoming trying to attract more white settlers uh, displaced thousands of indigenous people. There's also the fact that ladies kind of got the right to vote because the conservative government in Wyoming wanted more white voters in the territory as a 15th Amendment was about to give black men suffrage. Whoa. Oh, Jesus Christ. Also, what? who is the conservative government in Wyoming? Is it just <laughs> three, three guys? <laughs> three white dudes sitting around a tree stump? Why did they get the say? <laughs> Ugh, Jesus. Anyways, once white ladies got farther out west, they found a world without an old white establishment that could tell them what to do, or at least with a limited old white establishment. Ladies could do things like wear pants, yes. find work, Hells yes. and queer folks found freedom away from the puritanical stick-up-their-butts Gilded Aid Society that was cruising out east. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think there was like this ritual that probably happened when you crossed mm-hmm. the Mississippi, yeah. the ritualistic removing of the stick up your butt. <laughs> I believe that is historically accurate. It was amazing. They did this before the invention of penicillin. (laughs) So you might be wondering, Kylie, Molly, you can't just drop queers on us and walk away. And don't worry. Yes, you can. (laughs) You can drop a queer on me any day. Um, But (laughs) But that's just me personally. Uh, Kylie, I know what you want to talk about now. I want to talk about queers. Yeah, you do. Let's talk about queers, baby. Let's talk about they and she. Let's talk about all the queer folks making love on the prairie. Let's talk. Join me, Molly. Let's Let's talk talk about about queers. Let's talk about queers. (laughs) Okay. Let's get into it. So uh, transgender, of course, wasn't a term back in the mid to late 1800s. Uh, lesbian was a term used to describe prostitutes. And non-binary wasn't a concept that non-native folks were aware of. Also, women who identified as straight often chose to live as men just for safety and financial security. The point is, we mm-hmm. don't know how a lot of these people would have identified if they'd been offered up the veritable palette of queer vocab that we have today. 
So one thing all of these people did have in common was a need for secrecy and privacy because their safety often depended on it. So we don't have a lot of firsthand accounts of these folks talking about their gender expression and sexual orientation. All this to say, for the purposes of this podcast, we'll use they, them instead of going with gender pronouns for these people because we just don't know. Mm -mm. We have no clue how they'd identify today. Asking a person back then if they were trans or non-binary would be like asking them what their favorite Avenger is. They'd be like, I have no clue what you're talking about, but I feel like there's a lot of nuance to how I answer this. Also, it's Valkyrie. They'd all say Valkyrie. <laughs> Come on. Also, what is a movie? <laughs> uh, but also, if you asked me that, I would I would also have no idea what you're talking about. That's true. Sorry. <laughs> Never seen it. Anyways, when you hear Molly and I refer to someone as they, them, know that's the reasoning for our pronoun usage. Mm -hmm. Back to the queers. Back to the queers. Always back to the queers. Mm. Um, so queer folks were flocking to Cali, baby. That's that's the that's the technical term for California. Yes. Um, Kylie taught me that. Uh, the Wild West was super gay, especially compared to the East Coast that had harsh laws indirectly addressing homosexuality, like anti-vagrancy laws. Um, and vagrancy was like a term, was a blanket sentence used for people who were caught being queer or exhibiting gender non-conforming characteristics. And the punishment could be hard labor or imprisonment, which seems cruel and unusual. In the early days of the gold rush and westward expansion, people were living free from these laws, and California didn't enact these anti-vagrancy laws until 1855. It was not a utopia of queerness, right? Like West Hollywood is today. Oh, yes. It's actually a hellscape. Don't ever go to the Abbey. <laughs> the I went! I had a good time! No, I, I danced, I, I didn't did not. throw up... <laughs> The West uh, did offer an opportunity to start over and live relatively free from people just fucking bothering you. On this episode, you're going to hear about a queer icon of the West. Uh, but before we get to them, let's wet your palate. We have said palate so many times. I, you can never say it enough. Wet your palate, palate. And uh, let's rapid fire dive into some queer folks of wild Western yore. Wet your palate, palate. <laughs> So put on your cowgirl boots, buckle into your saddle, and bite your reins. I've never ridden a horse. Get ready to look a gift horse in the face. We're going to do a deep dive into some <laughs> queer folks of yore. Okay. Molly, hit me. I want to go first. Okay. Alice Baker, a trans woman school teacher who fled to Japan and fell off the historical record after getting outed a number of times. They married a man and was engaged to not one, but two evangelical preachers, probably Ooh. because they know how to speak in tongues. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Molly was like, I have a really good joke for this Shut one. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one uh, is a person named Jean Bonnet, a queer human who presented as a man and led a group of a dozen other former sex workers making a living off of stealing from former clients. Okay. That sounds like a Marvel movie to me. Marvel. I have never seen one, but. We're calling. Make the movie. <laughs> I will play Jean Bonnet. Thank you so much for asking. Should the part go to a queer person? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling a real Scarlett Johansson up in here. Ooh, speaking of Marvel. So the San Francisco Chronicle said that her life, misgendering them, was an illustration of the difficulties under which women labor when they undertake to disregard the rules for their sex. Blech. Bonnet said, in response, the police might arrest me as often as they wish. I will never discard male attire as long as I live. That was my audition. Marvel. I hope you're listening. <laughs> Jean Bonnet loved pants. Same, honestly. Same. Then next we got 
Harry Allen, a rough and tumble bitch from Seattle who was called the scum of the West, I would say Northwest, uh, by the papers. They are arrested for drinking, public disobedience, and prostitution. Their girlfriend was a sex worker and misgendered in every single press mention. Uh, but they were able to live openly, and in the 1910s, that's what we call progress. We'll take it. Yes, we My palate is wet. <laughs> that was rad. Now, as the West was colonized, bullshit ideals about gender came with it. And queer communities who came out were forced back into hiding until the LGBT rights movement of the 1960s and 70s. Let's keep our focus on the West. Right after the ad break, you'll hear the story of one-eyed Charlie, the best whip in the West, Charlie Parkhurst. Hello, this is still Kylie. And Molly, I'm here. I didn't leave. This show, Never Less She Existed, is recorded live at Caveat in New York City. And guess what? Mm -hmm. You can come watch the show. Um, At the live show, you get to see Molly's face. What? You get to have a drink. Hells yes. Or several, Mm -hmm. if you're Molly and I. (laughs) And you get to see the storytellers perform live as we celebrate the baddest women in history. Our next show is called Taking Up Space, Women Who Took to the Skies. It's Wednesday, November 20th at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Mark your calendars. Yes, yes. We're partnering with Science Friday to celebrate the woman in space. Uh, we're featuring Ella Fetter of Science Friday, Yasmin Tayag of Medium, Maya Desh of HBO, Ooh. and Moya McTeer, who is an actual astrophysics PhD at Columbia. She's actually not intimidating at all. She's very lovely. (laughs) Um, We'll be talking about Caroline Herschel, the woman of Mercury 13. We got a plethora of bad bitches to talk about. So much. You're going to want to come because it's going to be a blast off. See you there. Welcome back. You're about to hear Nikki Palumbo tell the story of the one, the only, the vagrant, Charlie Parkhurst. Hey, everybody. Sick. We have manners. Uh, I am Nikki Palumbo. Um, In my current life, I am a comedian. Um, If I didn't do this, I think I would teach pre-calc at all of your high schools uh, and then coach bowling, um, the math of sports. I think in a former life, though, I could have been a real, like, fucking badass of the Old West. Um, maybe someone named One-Eyed Charlie. And you're like, hey, that's like a bad nickname and probably belongs to a man. <laughs> and you're right. Like, a man's man. Like, the manliest of men. Um, One-Eyed Charlie was the nickname of Charles Darkey. Parkhurst, uh, a swashbuckling stagecoach driver known as the best whip in California during the gold rush. And remember, Charlie was this good at riding six horses with just the one eye, um, losing the other to getting kicked in the head by a horse who had gotten spooked by a rattlesnake. That's not even the craziest part of this Rube Goldberg device. Because Charlie Parkhurst was actually born. I'm waiting for um, like a dramatic, suspenseful moment, so I need you to gasp on my next word. Charlotte. <gasps> Thank you. <laughs> like we rehearsed. <laughs> That's right. Charlotte 
Darkie Parkhurst. Now, to avoid confusion and uh, potential negation of Charlie's entire existence, uh, I am going to refer to Charlie as um, using they-them pronouns. Um, Historians who are largely white cishet men, (laughs) shout out, (laughs) Um, aren't sure if Parkhurst was trans because no one knows exactly why Charlie decided to live as a man. Uh, There could have been any number of reasons. Uh, According to Don Romsberg, a historian and chair of women's and gender studies at Sonoma State University, hell yeah, ally. Uh, Women were given very few economic opportunities in the mid-19th century California. Um, They could really only be seamstresses or laundresses or teachers or sex workers. Not enough snakes, you know? (laughs) Another possible reason for Charlie to live as a man, people who were gay or trans um, would have been, like, super marginalized (laughs) like it was like incredibly illegal and like we almost have too many rights now so (laughs) you agree (laughs) I don't know what to do with them Uh, now that you know that Charlie was born a Charlotte uh, but is really a Miranda um, (laughs) close your eyes or just the one um in their honor, and imagine their job as a stagecoach driver during the gold rush. Uh, that job was dangerous as hell. Uh, pulling cargoes of gold over tight mountain passes and open desert, constantly in danger from bandits and that one rattlesnake. But Parkhurst was literally built for the job. They're described as short and stocky, like everyone good on any of my softball teams. They were a whiskey drinker, a cigar smoker, and tobacco chewer. Put that in your Tinder profile and watch those matches pile up. (laughs) Talk about cargo. Uh, And they wore a black eye patch over just that left eye. Uh, OG member of TLC, anybody? (laughs) Now, I could have told this story in a way where I buried the lead, just like Charlie carefully hid their identity from the outside world. Detail all of the the accomplishments of this man, and then (laughs) blow your minds with Charlotte at the end. No, won't do it. (laughs) This is about the badasses of the Old West. So uh, what's more badass than someone not letting their biology dictate their profession? (laughs) Yeah, Um, a real pioneer. So let's get into it. We're going to start at the end. (laughs) Uh, When Charlie died in 1879 at the age of 67 from tongue cancer, I'm going to guess from the whiskey and tobacco. (laughs) A doctor discovered that they were assigned female at birth. Good for him, the doctor, I mean. Um, Gender is really hard to diagnose. I speak from experience. (laughs) I went to a city MD once, won't tell you where, but if you're ever on 146th Street, you cannot miss it. Um, I was so sick, he diagnosed uh, me with enough... I guess illness to give me so many drugs I was worried I said yo what's up and he clasped me on the shoulder and said don't worry about it you're a big dude (laughs) I'm barely a big lady (laughs) nurse Anyway, back to Charlie. Uh, Women successfully clothing themselves as men is by no means a new thing. I do it sometimes, mostly for shorter bathroom lines and respect. (laughs) I got the green room. (laughs) 
so why'd Charlie do it? Uh, well, Charlotte was born in 1812 in New Hampshire, abandoned by their parents and consigned to an orphanage. Historians believe they ran away wearing, you guessed it, boys' clothes. Uh, or as I call them, regular pants, Mom. <laughs> After Charlie died, reporters lost their minds trying to piece their life together. The Providence Journal in Rhode Island wrote in an article, the story goes that while in the poorhouse, he, Charlie, discovered that boys have a great advantage over girls in the battle of life, and he desired to become a boy. You go, them. Hell yeah, learn that early. Uh, So Charlie ran away and wound up in Worcester, Massachusetts, where they worked cleaning horse stables. It was a stable enough job. Uh, The stables were owned by Ebenezer Balk, who took Charlie in and treated them like a son, becoming their mentor and teaching them how to literally hold their horses. Two puns under 30 seconds. I don't know where my ovation is. Uh, Charlie worked as a stagecoach driver on the East Coast for several years, then journeyed west like so many Americans seeking fortune and reinvention in California in 1851. They were just like so over New York. (laughs) Once in California, Charlie quickly became known for their ability to move passengers and gold safely over important routes uh, between gold mining outposts and major towns like San Francisco and Sacramento. One historian wrote, Only a rare breed of men and women could be depended upon to ignore the gold fever of the 1850s and hold down a steady job of grueling travel over narrow one-way dirt roads that swerved around mountain curves, plummeting into deep canyons, and often forded swollen, icy streams. That sounds like slash fiction to me. Uh, Integrity is hot. While they rode, Charlie wore long-fingered beaded gloves to hide their feminine hands. Because, you know, like, use protection. (laughs) Charlie was considered one of the safest stagecoach drivers uh, in all of the Wild West. Not a daredevil like so many of their contemporaries, and had a special rapport with the horses. We usually do. We're good with animals. (laughs) At least once, Charlie drove for Wells Fargo, uh, moving a large cargo of gold across the country. If you look closely at the Wells Fargo logo during Pride, uh, you can see them. (laughs) (laughs) On their rides, Indians and grizzly bears were a major menace. Uh, The state lines of California in the post-gold rush period were certainly no place for a lady, and no one ever accused Charlie of being one. In the late 1860s, with the growing popularity of railroads, stagecoach driving became a dying profession. So Charlie retired to Watsonville, California, and opened a saloon, or what I call gay bars, um, (laughs) and then also worked as a lumberjack and a farmer raising chickens. (laughs) The life. (laughs) Charlie suffered from rheumatism and then eventually succumbed to that sweet tongue cancer uh, in 1879. After Charlie died, the examining doctor not only discovered that they'd been born a woman, uh, but also realized Parkhurst, dramatic pregnant pause had given birth at some point. That gasp was unrehearsed. (laughs) That was organic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, a trunk found in their house uh, contained a baby's dress, and we know Charlie wasn't wearing it. (laughs) Since their death, Charlie's story has been told in more obscure historical texts uh, and contexts, and finally, but finally, uh, Charlie will take a more permanent 
place in California history books, like literally in California history books. The Fair Education Act passed in 2011 ensures the roles and contributions of the LGBTQIA uh, of Americans and people with disabilities uh, to be included in K through 12 history education. So. Whether Charlie was trans or queer or just trying to live a quiet life of integrity on the dangerous roads of the gold rush, their story is included in the lesson plans uh, in California where hopefully a lot of boys and girls are getting the same ideas. You can live outside the binary and accomplish some badass things. Because Charlie can claim one more distinction. Uh, an 1867 registry in Santa Cruz County lists a Charles Darkey Parkhurst from New Hampshire as having registered to vote more than 50 years before the 19th Amendment gave women that right. There is no evidence <laughs> that they voted in the 1868 presidential election, <laughs> but <laughs> their gravestone in Watsonville, California is etched with the words, the first woman to vote in the U.S. <laughs> You can't argue with a dead person. <laughs> I have tried. <laughs> this claim is largely uh, doubted, not my own. Uh, the gravestones claim is largely doubted by historians. But if you consider that Charlie lived their whole life as a man, and for nine months a pregnant man, uh, and no one questioned it, like why question their voting record? I'll go one further. I, starting today, am campaigning for Charlie Parkhurst in 2020 as our first posthumous president. They had a stable job, some hot integrity, a safe driver and a horse whisperer. Uh, that's literally a candidate I'd want to have whiskey with. Uh, so uh, join me in a little chant. Uh, Parkhurst, 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 Parkhurst. Great, uh, you did it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm Nikki Palumbo. That was Nikki Palumbo telling the story of Charlie Parkhurst. Nikki is a writer and comedian based in New York City. You can read her work on McSweeney's, Reductorist, and Twitter.com as at Nikki Pal, Pal with three L's. And you can see her perform on her monthly stand-up show, Queer Tiger Beat, or her solo show, Body Politics, which yes. I think is like next month. Go see her. Very excited. Oh, man. We love a Charlie. We love Charlie. We love a Charlie. What a sneaky little bitch. Mm, yeah, be sneaky to survive. <laughs> Oh, I love it so much. Also, I was thinking this when hearing this story. What do you think you would put on your gravestone as like the cl your claim my to cl fame? My claim to fame. Um, <laughs> spoke about Sacramento too much. <laughs> <laughs> Mentioned it once too much. <laughs> hey. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love that you're from there. It's so wonderful. <laughs> All right. Um, anyways, Molly's bigotry aside. Sorry. Mine would just say help. <laughs> yeah. Is that a funny prank for a gravestone? Um, I saw a, a sign in Central Park recently. It was like a plaque on a park bench and it said, uh, for Stephen, not dead, just loves plaques. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, I want to be your friend. Really sweet. Uh, if you want to learn more about queer history out West, we have a list of resources on our show page. So go check those out. Um, also just a quick plug. The Museum of Trans History and Art has an exhibit on queerness in early California. Ah, that is touring the nation so keep an eye out for that uh molly and i are actually gonna go we're gonna wear full rainbow head to toe uh with like little cowgirl hats on yes top. and we gotta have we're both gonna have the little guns but when you, you hit the trigger they just you know throw out those puny it'll be like a little pride flag with some glitter on it <laughs> this is bang um 
You'll know who we are if you see us there. But the, is what we Come, mean. Don't don't approach us. We're here to relax. We don't want to sign any autographs. No pictures. No pictures. No pictures. Please, please take a picture with us. This has been another episode of Nevertheless, She Existed. Please tune in next week for the story of an Inubat woman who harnessed the raw power of reindeer and built an empire. It's the dope indigenous lady Santa Claus you've never heard of. Santa wishes he had that business acumen. Eat it, Santa. <laughs> Suck my palate. Hashtag palette palette. Talk about queers. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, folks. <laughs> Let's talk about queers, baby. Let's talk about they and she. Let's talk about all the queer folks making love. Slow fade. On the prairie. <laughs> Let's talk about queers. Hey, y'all. If you love this show and want to support us, please tell your friends. The more people who listen, the more we get to do this. And if you're near New York City at all, bring them to our live show. Nevertheless, She Existed is a production of Caveat Media. It's produced by me, Kylie Holloway, and edited by Paula Pickren. Our executive producers are Kate Downey and Ben Lilly. Head over to caveat.nyc for live shows and, coming soon, more podcasts. And if you like this podcast, please remember to hit that subscribe button and rate and review. Subscribe!